Okay. We're finishing up 1 Corinthians tonight, chapter number 16. At least we'll try. <laughs> uh, we'll try to get through it. <coughs> I think we'll make it, but never know. I get all excited and might not. So uh, we've come through the book. Sort of the highlight is chapter 15 that we just finished as we have uh, theological discussions and logical discussions and uh, uh, conclusions about resurrection. The resurrection of Christ being the central thing and then our own resurrection, how that's going to happen. And like I said, <coughs> of all the uh, books and chapters in 1 Corinthians uh, 15 is really a, a high point where Paul really gives us a lot of information and helps us to comprehend uh, how it'll end up for us someday. Then we come to chapter 16. You entirely shift the gears in an entirely different direction. This is uh, the chapter whereby he says, okay, I'm done discussing these deep matters. Uh, we're going to uh, tell you what's going to happen next time I come and various things, who he's going to send, and so forth. And you say, well, I like the deep things. Well, hang on. If Paul says it, it's not shallow. <laughs> if he's talking about it, he's going to get you one way or the other. And so uh, we begin chapter 16. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Right, and so what's happened here is all across Asia, and I'm not any kind of an artist at all. Okay, you all know that by now, right? Uh, but there's Greece. And there would be Italy there. And this here would be Asia Minor. Asia Minor up here. And with Jerusalem down here in the Mediterranean. And down in Jerusalem, uh, and actually all through the area, there's been a problem. So we're going to chase this problem down and get a look at it and see what it is because it's pretty interesting the conclusions we'll come to. Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11, something happens here, and we're, we're told about this. Acts chapter 11, there's a reason they're taking a collection. And he's writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, you know, you remember I said we're going to take a collection, gather some money, I want to tell you uh, why. And here it is in chapter, Acts chapter 11, verse 27. Those days came prophets from Jerusalem to Antioch. There stood up one of them named Agabus and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. And then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren which dealt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so there's a worldwide dearth or a famine, and it strikes in the whole world, and he comes as Agabus and, and tells them 
It's about to happen, hasn't happened yet, but it's about to be a big famine, which God has done that several times in the past. You, of course, know the story of Joseph, right? Where pre-famine, he gets information from God what's coming. Well, this is what happened here. And so everybody said, you know, we're going to collect money uh, however we can get it, and we're going to send it to Judea or Jerusalem down here because they were particularly hard hit, not just by the famine, all right? Not just by the famine, but especially hard hit because uh, they turned on them uh, in Jerusalem if they were Christians. And what they did, they tried to persecute them and tried to kill them and they tried everything they could to put an end to the Jesus movement. And uh, none of that was effective. They put them in prison, God let them out the next day. You know, they just couldn't get ahead of it. So what they did was they blackballed all their business. And in Jerusalem, if you were making a living, whatever you were doing, if you were you know, a carpenter, if you were a leather worker, whatever you were, uh, they just said nobody buys from that person. And so these people were suddenly starving. And so all across Asia Minor and Greece and Italy, all through the area, they're collecting money and sending it back to these people because they're literally starving to death. A lot of them left because they couldn't survive that. Uh, and so there becomes a, a, a movement, I guess you'd call it, throughout the, all these churches that we read of in the Bible. And in Galatians, now turn over to Galatians, after Corinthians is the book of Galatians, in chapter number 2. <clears throat> what Paul is doing, and if you have any knowledge of Paul, you know that he made these trips. He'd make a trip up here, and then he'd sail back, he'd make another trip up here, another trip up here, and he made four major trips in his lifetime, which uh, half of it would have been walking, and then some of it sailing, but uh, it's, to make a trip was a big deal. Not like us, you know, get on a plane and let's go. Or get in your car, we can drive 80 miles an hour and get there. At least people I've ridden with can do that. You know, and so, no, it's not like that. If you're going to make a trip, you're going all the way over to through Asia Minor, you, it's a big deal. And he did it four times. So as he's going along, stopping to churches, helping them, actually founding them as he goes, He's telling them, look, we got to take care of these people who are in serious condition. In Galatians chapter 2, we see him talking about it. Verse 9, um, when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived that grace was given to me, they gave me Barnabas, the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the heathen, they should go to the circumcision. Only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. And so uh, as they make a collection, as they collect money, he says, remember, wherever we go, we're going to remember the poor. That's why we're doing this collection, is to help out the poor. Now, we get in 2 Corinthians a very, very interesting 
passage to me. It's always been <coughs> on my mind and on my heart uh, that we collect money the right way. That's why we have a box in the back. When I was a young kid, they used to make me take the offering. I didn't want to. They said, you're going to take offering. So I did my job, took the offering. It was very instructive because I watched people as I passed the plate, reach in their wallet and pull out $1, put it in. And a lot of times they did that. And I thought to myself, if we didn't pass the plate, they wouldn't put a dollar in. And if they really wanted to give, they'd put $5 in. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, I don't know about this. And so I was part of a church a long time ago now where they had a box in the back. And they did very well. They built a new building. They did real well. And then all of a sudden somebody said, eh, we got to throw that box out. So they threw the box out and they had trouble paying their mortgage from that day forward. And I said to myself, well, there's a lesson. They didn't learn it, but at least I can learn it. <laughs> and so when we started a Bible study in my house, and we begin the idea of having a church, uh, we never took any money. And then uh, <coughs> came this building. I had to have money to buy it and fix it and make it work. And so I put a box, that one right there, on my kitchen table. And I said, if you really want to have a church, you'll have to put some money in there. And that's what we did. And ever since then, we've never passed a plate. And God's taken really good care of us. And here in 2 Corinthians 8, is kind of a fascinating lesson about offerings. And Paul is teaching people about the way giving should operate. Uh, <clears throat> Acts chapter 8, or 2nd, I'm sorry, 2nd Corinthians chapter 8, and starting at verse number 12. <clears throat> For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, and not according to that he hath not. So, uh, if you're going to make a, a give something, first of all, you're willing to do it. Nobody's twisting your arm. Nobody's sticking a plate on your nose and say you better put something in or everybody think you're a scrounge, like I had to do. All right? Nobody's doing that. He said, first of all, it has to be willingly. Second of all, uh, it's according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. Which means if you don't have anything, you don't put it, can't put anything in. If you're just surviving. Nobody's asking you to put in, he says. 13, for I mean not that other men be eased and ye burdened. Right? So he says, uh, if we're collecting for the people in Judea and trying to help those starving people, if you end up, you can't buy groceries this week, that didn't make any sense. That's not what we want. And so, 14, by any quality that now at this time your abundance may be a supply for their want, that their abundance also may be supply for your want, that there may be equality. And he talks about this concept of equality. Uh, <clears throat> he said, uh, their 
you're going to pay some money to help the people in Judea and Jerusalem. Uh, someday they may collect for you. All right, the tables may turn and they may collect for you. We're trying to help people uh, work it out. 15, as is written, he that had gathered much had nothing over, and he that gathered little had no lack. And so he refers back this comment uh, to manna in the wilderness. And they were instructed every morning to go and collect manna. Now manna wasn't bread laid on the ground. It was these little seeds, little tiny seeds. And they'd collect these seeds <coughs> and grind them up and, and to make flour out of them. And then they made uh, bread out of it. And it was a very nice, light, uh, tasty bread. Said it tasted like honey. So I don't know if those were God's seed manna or bread from heaven. And God sent it every day. And the point was, God said, uh, I'm going to supply enough for you today. And so people say, well, how much is that when you're picking up little seeds? How many do I get? I don't know how to do it. And so some people who were uh, maybe not as ambitious, who knows, they got just a few and they thought, well, I don't know, we'll try this today. Other people were out there for three hours filling up a big old basket and get all kinds of seeds. And he says, when it was all done, the people who gathered little had what they needed and the people who gathered too much, uh, they didn't have anything left over. The point was, uh, there's, uh, it's not about how much I can get, it's God supplying a need. And so he said, God did that with manna as a principle. Uh, that's what we want to do. Now, let's go back to Corinthians 16, 1 Corinthians 16. So I want you to note in verse 2, it says, On the first day of the week, let everyone you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him. <coughs> in other words, they're always going to meet on the first day of the week. And there have been people through the years that have said, well, Saturday is a Jewish Sabbath and we're supposed to have a church on Saturday. Called Seventh Day. You've heard of Seventh Day Adventists. All right, those people have church on Saturday, and they say it was never changed to Sunday. But here Paul tells them you're always going to meet on Sunday. And of course, that refers back to the resurrection of Christ, which was on Sunday. And then the next day of importance was Pentecost, which also was on Sunday. And so Paul says, you're meeting, of course, on the first day of the week, on Sunday. And that was just a thing that happened in the early church. They said, this is what the most important thing we can think of is the resurrection of Christ. And they were right. So they met on Sunday. That's just a little bit of information. But Paul says, uh, I don't want any offerings taken when I get there. Verse 3, when I come, whosoever you shall approve by your letters, then will I send to bring your liberality into Jerusalem. And if it be meet that I go also, they shall go with me. All right, so he says, here's what you do before I get there. 
I want that offering all taken. I don't want any offerings taken when I get there, all right? I want it all done. And so, uh, sort of giving principles, things that uh, God said we should do. Number one, he said, remember the poor. Remember the poor. That's an important part of giving is to remember the poor. Uh, Two is to give as you are able. As you are able. And of course, we have the fantastic uh, Jesus-approved offering, which was the woman with two mites, remember? She came into the temple and gave the smallest offering possible. You weren't allowed to put one mite in, so the least you could put in was two. And she put her two mites in, and Jesus said, hey, did you see that? That was a great offering, all right, as you are able. And so we're supposed to give as we are able. Number three, he said, it's up to you. It's up to you. It's not my business. Don't do it while I'm there because giving is to be with no pressure. No pressure, okay? So it's not supposed to be somebody twisting your arm, finding a way for you to give money. That's not how it works. And here he tells us here, this is a voluntary thing. No compulsion. I'm not forcing anybody, so nobody takes an offering when I get there. Because they think, well, Paul's here, we should give some more. No, 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 no. So he says, you take that offering before I get there, and you set it up so we can send it back and if you need me, I will help to take it back. And it's, it's a whole lot different than, than it is today, right? What would we do? We'd write a check, right? Send a check or something. Now, in those days, you're collecting coins. You know, you got a, maybe a whole big bag of coins, maybe a big, big old collection. And you got to throw it over your shoulder and carry it all the way to Jerusalem. It's a big deal. It's different not like us. And so it'd be dangerous, you know, your, your trip would be dangerous. You're carrying a big bag of money. And uh, he said, sometimes, uh, you know, if it need be, I'll go with you to help do that. I'm willing to help, but I don't want it taken. No pressure. <clears throat> it's funny, just as I was preparing this, I thought, there's this guy on TV Begs for money every day, every day, all the time, every day, all the time. And as I was preparing this, I said, I bet he's on now. And I clicked it on, and there he was, right on it. Just as he said, release the seed in your hand. You let go of your money and give it to us, and then God will let go of his money and give it to you. Well, after a while, it's like, come on. This guy's pretty smooth. He's a pretty smooth talker, but... He's going to pay for pressuring people all over continually every single day of his life to give. When Paul said, no pressure. Matter of fact, don't, take, don't dare take an offering when I get there. All right? So the very different approach to what we see going on on TV these days as people are telling you, man, we've got to have your money. We're, send it to us and it's just like giving it to God. 
I don't know about that. <laughs> but Paul makes these comments, and it's interesting to see how far people have gone from the principles that Paul laid down. You give as is possible for you. I don't ask you to give if you can't give. All right? Nobody's twisting your arm. There's no pressure. And we remember that there are people who need and we can help them. That's why I really enjoy sending money to Africa. I remember when we first started sending money to Africa, they said, wow, this is great. We can eat two meals a day now. That really got me. I thought to myself, well, we eat three and four, whatever we want, right? And they were eating one meal a day. And when we started sending money, wow, we can have two meals a day. So, well. You remember the poor. Okay? Now, let's go on. Now, verse 5. I will come to you when I shall pass through Macedonia, for I do pass through Macedonia. It may be that I will abide, yea, winter with you, that you may bring me on my journey whithersoever I go. So, he said, I'm going to go through Macedonia, and that's Greece. And uh, Corinth is right there. Right down there, down in the little tip of Greece there. And uh, uh, Asia Minor comes over here. And so he says, I'm going through Macedonia. I'm traveling through, up through Greece and around through Greece. He said, if I get there, I might winter with you. Of course, it'd come a couple of hard months of winter. And he'd want to stay put. It was too hard to travel. This is a guy's walking all over, all over, half over the known world. And so uh, it's a different type of living. Verse 7, for I will not see you now, by the way, but I trust to tarry a while with you if the Lord permit. So he says, I'm heading your way. If I make it there, good. All right, if I don't, I don't, he says. But here's what he says. But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost. And uh, Ephesus is over here in Asia Minor. So he's across the water. <coughs> More correct like this. He's across the water in Ephesus. And he says, I stopped in Ephesus. And that's where I am right now. I'm going to wait until Pentecost. For a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. All right. So he says, I've come to Ephesus, and I'm going to stay here because something's going on here. God opened a great door. And I think uh, I view that in my opinion, as the way God works. And people have often asked me, well, how do I know what the will of God is? I said, if he opens a door, go through it. If he closes a door, you can't go through it. And that's what he'll do. Sometimes he'll close a door. I remember I wanted to uh, have a job at the wildlife refuge in Montezuma, and I applied, and I talked to the manager, and he said, you're the guy I want, and all this and that. And I'll tell you what, that door just shut. It just closed. And I was kind of depressed for a while. I said, 
I filled out the application. I was number two on the list. The guy wanted to hire me, so why can't I get hired? Because God just slammed that door shut. He said, you're not going to Syracuse. You're staying here. Now I know why. Right, it took me a while to know why, but now I know why God shut that door. And that's the way God works. He shuts doors. He also opens doors. Somebody came to my house and said, there's a church. You said find a place to meet. We did. Here's a church. Let's go look at it. I came up here and I looked and there was junk cars up the side. There was 300 rotten pallets across the back. There's big pieces of equipment there. Great big huge old generator in the front. And you may have seen the pictures in the other room of what the church looked like then. <laughs> it's pretty tough. Pretty tough looking place. And uh, I kind of scratched my head. I don't know. I don't know. And God opened that door, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one, and the next one. I just kept going through the doors, going through the doors. Because I think that's the way God operates. And so if you trust him, and he opens the door, you go through it. He'll close it if he needs to. Well, Paul says he opened this door for me in Ephesus. A great effectual door is open unto me. There are adversaries, but he said there's a great door. I want to show you what he means because it's pretty amazing what happened here. Uh, chapter 19 of Acts. This is the great effectual door that was opened to Paul. And we're going to show you what happened because of this door that was opened. All right, Acts chapter 19. I'm just going to read down through a few verses as you see how God is opening the door for Paul. Here, watch this, Paul. Bang! What do you think of that? Bang! What do you think of that? And Paul just go running through the doors. This is great. I love it. Chapter 19 of Acts came to pass it well. Apollos was at Corinth. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, finding certain disciples. So he says he's come to Ephesus, like he said. That's where the door is open. All right. He arrives there, finds disciples. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. He said unto them, Unto what were you baptized? They said, Unto John's baptism. So all they knew about was John the Baptist. They didn't know about Jesus. Which is really an extraordinary situation. And Paul said, John verily baptized the baptism of repentance, saying to the people they should believe on him, which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they got baptized and understood Jesus was the one. And when Paul laid his hands on them, Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about 12. So he's got 12 men together. He went into the synagogue, spoke boldly for the space of three months, disputing and persuading the things concerning the kingdom of God. And so because he is a highly educated man, he can go to a synagogue and say, I'd like to speak today. And they say, okay, you sit in line, and when your turn comes, you can speak. So he went for three months preaching at the synagogue. Nine, when divers were hardened and believed not, but spake evil away for the multitude, he departed from them, separated disciples, disputing daily in the school of untiringness. And so 
he says, there are great doors open, but there's a lot of enemies. Well, he preached for three months in the synagogue, and they said, we decided you're nuts. Get out of here with that Jesus stuff. We don't want to hear it anymore. He says, fine. He goes out, and he finds a school, which is basically a college. We'd call it a college. And he starts teaching there at the college. Verse 10, this continued by the space of two years, so that all which dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Greeks. All right, so he says, when I was preaching in his college, I did it for two years, and everybody in Asia Minor. He's in Ephesus here in Asia Minor, and the word of God spread all throughout Asia Minor because he was teaching in that school. That's a pretty powerful door. And watch what God throws in just for fun. 11. God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought to the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases parted from them and the evil spirits went out of them. And so God said, I'll give you a little something more. Here's another door for you. Give him your handkerchief. Pulls out his handkerchief, they take it, and they go over to the person that's sick. Here, they put the handkerchief on, and he gets better. So, man, it's, talk about a door. That's quite a door, isn't it? All right? He meets 12 people who never heard about Jesus. And you know John the Baptist gets their act together. They go into the, the, the uh, synagogue, get kicked out of there in three months because they're our enemies, he said. But we went to the college, preached for two years, and now the entire peninsula here of Asia Minor has heard the gospel because of what happened when God opened the door at Ephesus. So it's a very powerful thing. He said, I'm, I'm busy right now, and I'm having a time in my life because God opened to me this great effectual door. And so he's explaining to him why he can't come. He's in the middle of where God's setting the whole place on fire, and uh, he thinks it's great. So let's go back now to chapter 16, 1 Corinthians, and verse number 10. He's closing up his letter, so he's tying up loose ends, you might say. Now, if Timotheus comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he worketh the work of the Lord as I do also. Let no man therefore despise him, but conduct him forth in peace, that he may come unto me, for I look for him with the brethren. All right. So he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to send Timothy to you. All right. I want you to be careful now. And here is an important part of the work of God. God uses different types of people. God uses different types of people. Uh, extremely different. And sometimes colleges, there are colleges try to turn out everybody exactly the same. And it's too bad because God uses all kinds of people. And he said, I'm going to send you Timothy. And I'm going to tell you, don't you dare despise him. I say, why would they do that? Well, I'll show you. It's kind of interesting. First Timothy, over in First Timothy, as he's talking to Timothy directly, First uh, Timothy, 
First Thessalonians, second Th- second Thessalonians, first Timothy, chapter four. First Timothy chapter four, verse twelve. And he's talking to Timothy. First Timothy four twelve. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, purity. So he says, I'm gonna send you a place, and they're gonna say, He's a kid. Why are you sending us a kid? He's a young kid. All right. He says to Timothy, don't let them say that. (laughs) You know, they're used to me and I'm a lot older than you. He said, I'm going to send Timothy. I don't want you to despise him because he's a young man. All right. He may not be me. He's not me for sure. Uh, Verse 5, chapter 5 of 1 Timothy, verse 23. This one is a famous verse. Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake, and thine often infirmities. People love that verse over the years. They say, oh, now I can drink wine. That's not, of course, what Paul is saying. He's saying to Timothy, says, you drink water, and of course, water in those days, you know, it didn't come out of the tap, right? They went down the river and got it, and if it had whatever in it, you drank it. All right, and so people got sick from water a lot, and he seems to have been actually the sickly type. He says, you have often infirmities. You're sick all the time. So here's a young kid coming to speak, and he's sick all the time. Stomach hurts. (laughs) I say, you know, I'm sending him to you. I don't want you to despise him. He said, well, how is he? How's he doing? Well... He's, he's not a tough hombre like Paul. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, he tells him, Now therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Endure hardness. That means uh, Timothy's kind of a little, um, I don't want to say he's a sissy. I wouldn't say that. But I'd say he's pretty weak. He's a weak personality, and he's young, and he's sickly, and you think, is that the best guy you got you can send? And Paul said, no, 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 no. He's with us. He's on our side. He can help. So I don't want you to treat him badly because he doesn't come in with an impressive point of view. Now watch carefully back in 16. Verse 12, as touching our brother Apollos, I greatly desired him to come to you with the brethren, but his will was not to come at this time, but he will come when he shall have convenient time. Now, you remember when we first started 1 Corinthians, there was a big argument. Remember what it was? There's three guys we like. Paul, somebody else said, no, I like Peter. And then some rest of them said, well, I like Apollos. He's the guy I want to hear. And so Apollos had been there preaching, and Apollos was known to be a highly polished, powerful speaker. And so people loved him. So he says, I'm sending Timothy, and they go, Apollos can't come. Oh, we want Apollos. We don't want Timothy. He said, no, no, I don't want to hear that out of your mouth. I don't want to hear that. He said, don't you say that. Apollos said he can't come, and that's 
his point of view. That's the way he's doing it. And so uh, God picks those that he would use, and God will use Timothy. They prefer to Paulus. And Paul gave him a little chastisement. No, let God use him. And it's been true in my life. I've seen uh, preachers. I knew a fella that he almost never spoke in a full sentence. And he was a preacher. And he was really hard to listen to. And of all the preachers I've ever heard, it's probably the hardest one to focus on. And he just, his speech was very broken. And he was not a polished speaker. Uh, but he had a heart of gold. And so I learned, I said, I got to learn to hear what he says. And I got to fight through the bad delivery. And I learned good things from him. He was a good man. He was a very poor speaker. And uh, I had a pastor in Connecticut. My uncle Ad and I used to go to church together. We woke each other up. You know, we'd fall asleep and I'd poke him and he'd poke me. And we'd get through the service that way. That guy was the most boring delivery I ever heard. I went to hear a, a funeral once and he got up and started singing. Now, I, sometimes I sing in the pulpit. All right, some people should not do that. Oh, he was terrible. And he was so boring to listen to. But I remember thinking, you know what? He's got, he says some very good things. If you can, I got to listen. I got to get this because he's going to say something good. And he's the one really that taught me that the church is a bride and a body and a building. As a bride, it shows the love of Christ. As a body, it shows the life of Christ. And as a building, it shows the labor of Christ. Ingenious. Ingenious point of view. I learned that from that guy who was so boring you couldn't stay awake. So God uses people that you wouldn't think he does. And he's sending Timothy in there, and he knows they're going to say, <laughs> He's sick all the time. Why don't you send us him? He said, no, no. God can use him. You just behave yourself and don't treat him badly and you'll be all right. And so he's showing a little bit of a, uh, it's an instruction really because they were very big on what? I like him. I like him. I like him. No, 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 no. I want you to learn to take what people have and some people will teach you very well. You just pay attention. That's what he said about Timothy. <clears throat> and when he sends Timothy into uh, uh, Philippi, he tells him, I don't have anybody who will love you as much as Timothy will. So I'm going to send Timothy. So Timothy, as a young fella, had a very weak presence, but he was okay. He was a good man, and you had to believe it. All right, now, back to chapter 16, verse 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men, be strong, and let your things be done, all your things be done with charity. And so he gives a little sort of a closing here. Uh, he says, get your offering taken so there's no pressure when I get there. Uh, I'm going to get there maybe 
but I've been doing a big work for God. So I'm going to send Timothy for sure. And, uh, and then Apollos can't come. I know you like him, but he can't come. So here's my advice to you. Watch first. He gives watch. That's a really important thing. Watch. Watch. Um, stand fast, he says, in your faith. All right. Believe. With no doubt, with no doubt, don't let doubt come into your mind. Believe with all your heart. And then he says, stand fast or quit you like men, be strong or uh, be strong. Be a man. Be a strong man for God. Stand up and be a man for God. You need to do that. And then he said, let love guide you. Love will be a guide. You'll need that. So I want you to do those things in your church as you're thinking. Watching is extremely important. Jesus gave a warning. He said you need to be watching. And here's why. Because there'll be people among you who are wolves in sheep's clothing. And they come into the flock to devour it. And you need to be watching all the time. And I feel like I watch all the time. I'm always watching, trying to see as much as I can. And during COVID, we learned to be more watchful. We had to be more watchful during COVID because of a lot of forces coming against the church. And there was, in general, an anti-church feeling. And so we had to be very careful. You understand that uh, that anti-church, church is God's tool in the world. Church is what God planned and God uses, it's God's method. And when you have a huge anti-church feeling, you better be watching, you better pay attention and really keep your eyes open. All right, other churches shut down uh, and just shut down and almost never recovered. A lot of never recovered because they gave in to the anti-church feeling because they weren't watching. They weren't watchful. So he says, watch and fight it. Stand up like a man. Fight it. Don't let it go down. All right, be strong. Be manly. Have courage. Don't be afraid. Lead. Lead, he says. Like my father always said, we will never surrender. That's right. We never surrender. We will lead, we will watch, and we'll be men. And uh, that's what you'll have to do. Love over all things has to be. But you got to pay attention because if you're going to do the work of God, there are people who will stand against you. And you better be ready to handle them and do what you need to do. And God helped a lot. During COVID, I got calls from the sheriff's department quite often. They said, well, we got a complaint, Mr. Olson. I said, okay. He said, uh, I just wanted to tell you. I said, okay, what is it? He goes, ah, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so I have to tell you, and I'll tell you what it is, but don't worry about it. I said, well, I won't. I'm not going to worry about it at all. 
And he says, must be some people don't like you. I said, yeah, pretty good chance of that, okay? <laughs> it's okay, I can take it, all right? Because we're going to stand and watch and be men about it, all right? And that was a very important time as you follow his instructions here. You better be watching because it'll come in and it'll take you down. So it's good, good, in, in for good uh, advice. Chapter, or verse 15. I beseech you, brethren, I, lo I love this verse. I just love it. Uh, <laughs> I beseech you, brethren, you know the house of Stephanus. It is the first fruits of Acacia. And they that have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints, that you submit yourselves unto such every one that helpeth with us and laboreth. I'm glad to the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achacus, for that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. Now, he's been working in Ephesus, he says, right there in that city right there. And the gospel has spread through Asia Minor. It has also come across into this little area of Greece, north of uh, Corinth, called Acacia. And uh, this little is a Roman province. Right? It's a Roman province called Acacia. And he said, well, I was doing the work of the Lord, and through the open door of Ephesus, the gospel came over into Acacia. They spread over into there. And there, oh, the first people to believe there was this fellow called Stephanus. I wish we knew more about this guy. I wish we could find out. And I researched as much as I could looking for any information. And it seems to be some people think, and, I, and you can't guarantee this, it's just a thought some people had who researched more than I did. Uh, Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus uh, were s slaves. They believed they were slaves. And they came to trust in God up in Acacia. And they were the first ones, as the gospel went in there, to believe. But look what it says about them. Uh, he says, this house where these fellows came from, they were the first ones to believe. And he says, they're addicted to the ministry of the saints. Isn't that good? I wish I knew these guys. They're addicted. They're addicted to serving the Lord. They're addicted in particular to helping people, as it says to do, remember the poor. They're particularly good at that, he said. And what happened was, these three fellas took a collection and took it over to Paul. And he said, Paul, we're giving you a little money. He said, well, I could sure use it. And he was happy to get it. And they were the ones that delivered it because they're addicted to helping. They love to help. 4 verse 18, they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore acknowledge ye them that they are such. All right, so he said, make sure you know uh, they did what was lacking on your part, or they supplied me with money I needed so I could keep going. And Paul sometimes worked uh, making tents and sold them to give himself by. And of course, as he got older and as he's preaching every day, 
uh, he didn't have so much time. So people were donating to him. And the people of Corinth sent money through Stephanus, who said, I'll take it, I'll take it, let me take it, I want to do it, let me, 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 I want to do it. And he took the money and delivered it because he's addicted to helping people. Well, that's a good thing, it's a really good thing. Verse, <coughs> verse 19, the churches of Asia salute you. That is Asia Minor, Ephesus over where he is. Aquila and Priscilla salute you much in the Lord with the church that is in their house. And we have talked about them before in the past. Here's a couple who knew about God and they opened up their house and they held church in their house, which was great because there were no churches then, no church buildings. So where did they meet? Meet in people's houses. And they said, you can always use our house. And they were the ones who took in Apollos because he didn't know what was going on. And they explained to him what Jesus did. And he went out and became the great preacher because of Aquila and Priscilla. So here's a couple who worked together in the Lord's work, staying in the background, being useful. Open our house. Let the church will come here. All right. Teach people who need uh, instruction. They taught Apollos. That's kind of a, a shining up your metal, right? <laughs> you say, who'd you teach? We taught Apollos. He's the best preacher I ever heard. Yeah, we taught him. Well, <laughs> good for them, all right? Verse 20, all the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. And he said that several times because in the culture that he was in, people didn't shake hands. They went up and kissed each other. And sometimes uh, you've seen that maybe in some cultures. Italians commonly do that. And uh, Norwegians don't do that. They don't do that. But uh, other cultures do that, all right? And that's their way. And so what he's saying in our language today is make sure when you see each other, give each other a hearty hand, handshake and give each other a hug and make sure uh, everybody knows that you love each other. The salutation of me, Paul, with mine own hand. He uh, put his name on the letter. Of course, he didn't do the writing. Somebody else did dictation. He dictated it, and they wrote it down, and then at the end he would write with his own hand his, his uh, uh, signature. And so they got a letter, and it would have this signature on the bottom, uh, Paul of Tarsus, and that would be his, his signing up. The only one he wrote with his own hand was Galatians, because he was so mad he couldn't wait for somebody to come along and, and take the dictation. He said, give me a pen, I'll write it myself. And he wrote it himself, and when he got done, he writes on the bottom, boy, I use big letters, because he can't see. He can not hardly see. He has eye problems, serious eye problems. And so the only way he can see and write is to write in big letters. So when he writes Galatians, he puts it in there. Yay, uh, uh, he says, I'm mad. I can't wait for anybody to dictate. All right, verse 22. If any man love not the Lord Jesus, let him be anathema maranatha. Now there's quite a thing. Let him be anathema maranatha. People are trying to figure that out. I don't think it's that hard. Uh, it says, if any man doesn't love Jesus, 
Let him be anathema, period. Maranatha is a whole other word. So anathema means cursed with a divine curse. That's what it means. So if someone is anathema, God curse you. God curse you. If God curses you, you know where you are? You're, you're in hell. You're in big trouble. God curses you, anathema on you. You're in trouble. So you say, why would Paul say if somebody doesn't love Jesus, let them be cursed? I thought we were trying to win them over. Yeah, well, think about it. Think about it. Paul has seen the Lord work. He says, he chose me for heaven's sake. Me, I was persecuting the church. I was breathing out threatening and slaughter against the church, trying to put an end to the church. And God said, I'll take him. And ever since then, I can't help but love him. And everywhere I go, people are seeing God. Uh, they take my handkerchief and they heal people with it, for heaven's sake. It's unbelievable what God does. And now the gospel has spread across Asia Minor over into Macedonia or Greece. And now this first convert we got out of Acacia, Stephanus, is addicted to Christ. He says, we love Christ. And if you don't love him, anathema, what's wrong with you? What is wrong with you? How can you say you don't love Jesus Christ for what he's done? went to a cross and died and gave his life for us and he poured himself out even unto death, a death on the cross. How can you say you don't love him? Anathema! Let him be cursed with a curse. He's far too wonderful for you to make light of. For you to say he's no big deal. So if you're going to say that, anathema, and then he adds to it, Maranatha, which means the Lord is coming. Maranatha. So let him be cursed with a divine curse. The Lord is coming. Or it's a shocking warning. He says, look, you say, you sit there and say, well, I don't love Jesus. I don't see any reason why I have to love Jesus. You better listen to this. He's coming. He's coming. And you're going to sit there and say, I don't love Jesus. And if you continue to say that, you're going straight to hell. He's coming. So get your act together, boy. You better love Jesus. Quit what you're doing. Don't be like that. And so this is an emotional outbreak right at the end. He said, I'm writing this with my own hand, thinking about what God's done for me. And I thanking God. You don't love him? Anathema! Maranatha! Curse you! The Lord is coming. Straighten your act out, boy. <laughs> There's Paul. He shines. He shines. He loves Jesus. They were so convinced of it uh, that they said, uh, people said, uh, we believe the Lord is coming, and we think it's him. They said, we think it's Paul. 
in the old writings that we found, not from the Bible, but from way back in that time, uh, some of the people back there wrote, uh, we believe the Lord is coming and we think he's already returned. And we think it's Paul because he was so on fire and so kind and so loving and so smart and so convincing and so well informed and we go on and on and on and on. But we didn't think that's Jesus. That'd be pretty good if they said that about one of us, huh? Nobody ever said, I think he's Jesus. Nobody ever said that about me. But they said it about him. And so, boy, he really gives them a shot. If you don't love the Lord Jesus, anathema, be damned to hell, actually, that's what it would be. The Lord is coming, watch it. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. My love be with you all in Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus Christ has come to give you what you didn't deserve. I want you to know I love you all because of Jesus. And so we're done. Amen. That's the end of the book. Okay? Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Now sometime we'll go to 2 Corinthians. Uh, not right away, but next week will be a communion service. We will have communion next week in this time slot. So Tuesday night, a week from tonight, is a communion service. Okay? Thank you.